This is More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is made up of more than your job title. Each week, I'll talk to a guest about how they discovered that for themselves. You'll hear about what they did, what they're doing, and who they are. I'm your host, Rabia. I work in IT, perform stand-up comedy, write, volunteer, and, of course, podcast. Thank you for listening. Here we go. This week, my guest is Larry Sprung. He's a founder and wealth advisor. Thanks for being on, Larry. Hey, thanks for having me, Robbie. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And where am I talking to you from today? Yeah, so uh, our office, and I live on Long Island, which is the easternmost tip of New York. And uh, we're out here about 55 miles outside of New York City. Nice. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great area, just New York in general. But it's kind of nice to be out of the city, probably. Yeah, it's nice to be out of the city and it's nice to be in this area, especially as we enter the summertime because uh, a lot of beaches, it's a good place to be and uh, no snow like the winter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know we're all, I'm in London and it, it kind of became all seasons this weekend. So it was kind of fun for the, the Queen's Jubilee. It was really nice and now it's over. So now the sun's over. It's what, there you go. It happens. <laughs> yeah. It happens. So first of all, let's just talk about what you founded and what you're doing as a wealth advisor. So you founded Midland Financial. And so can you talk a little bit about what you do there? And also, I know in your first episode of your podcast, you tell the full story of how you named it. But if you want to talk a little bit about that, too, it's a pretty nice story. I appreciate that, Robbie. Yeah, so I'll kind of start there. So in 2004, I launched Midland Financial. And one of one of the things and one of the most common asked questions, and it's kind of funny because being in financial services, people think that, you know, the most widely asked question is, how much money do I need till retirement? Or do I have enough money to retire? And our most asked question is, where the heck did the Midland name come from? Because your last name's not Midland and nobody there is named Midland. So it's an interesting story and it's more or less a mashup of uh, MIT was my wife's grandfather, Mitchell, and LIN was my mom, Linda. You know, they passed away literally within hours of each other. And then my wife and I met each other. We didn't even know each other. We met each other after, like within Mm -hmm. a, a couple of months after their passing. And we were you know, just talking as you normally do as a new couple. And we were kind of reconciling where we were and what we were doing. And we put it all together. And it turns out that these two individuals passed away within a very short period of time of each other. And when we were looking at starting the firm and naming the firm, you know, it was looking at my mom, she uh, battled breast cancer for about 13 or 14 years and and lost her battle at the age of 47. And Mm. she was probably one of the strongest people I knew, one of the, you know, most positive attitudes I've ever seen. And she was just really well liked and had great, you know, values and, and just really a a good human being and uh, learned a lot from her. And my wife's grandfather was a a veteran, New York City police officer, similar in nature. He was the type of guy that when the ice cream man came down the block, he would buy the whole block ice cream, you know, Mm. whether he knew you or not. And, you know, we thought that what a great way to honor these two great people and have a firm that represents their values as ours and look to build a practice where we work with families that are similar in nature and similar with those core values. And that's what we did. So we're essentially a wealth management firm. We help people become and remain financially independent. We do that through working with them to design and develop a financial plan and help them manage that plan over time, which may include their investments, budgeting, and things of that nature. Because, you know, 
if you're looking to build wealth and retire one day and potentially live without a paycheck from a job, you have to create that wealth and you need a plan to get there. So we help people start formulating that plan early on and execute it over time. And so how did you get into that aspect of like wealth management and financial management versus other areas of finance? What was your path there? Yeah. So again, I think that roots back to my upbringing and and seeing what happened in my own family. You know, growing up, I was not, we were not rich. We weren't poor. We were, you know, probably a, a middle class family. And I watched my dad, you know, basically balancing uh, working as a teacher full time, having a business on top of that in order to make ends meet. And then when my mom was diagnosed very early on with her illness, watching him that juggle that too. And one of the things that kind of, you know, left a, a mark on me was the fact that he did not have a financial advisor. And I will say that you know, having a financial advisor would not have mitigated or gotten rid of the problems that my mom had. But I think it would have helped him in having somebody to help him navigate some of the financial hurdles and obstacles that he saw during that time. If he had an advisor to help walk him through that, I think it would have been very helpful to him. So when I was thinking about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be, I was always kind of philanthropic. I wanted to have a a career that was going to be meaningful and help people. And And, you know, further on, when I went into college, I had an opportunity intern at a major brokerage firm at that time. And it just it it hit me that this is where I wanted to be. I felt it was a great career where I could help people help them reach their goals and work towards their goals. And it would be something that was rewarding and something that I could get a lot from. And, you know, the families we're serving today, in some respects, we're serving their second and third generations of those families. And it's just a rewarding career to help people and watch their progression and be able to start with a family, watch their kids go to college and and you having an integral part in helping that savings plan or seeing them get married or buy a house. You know, these are all great events. And quite frankly, there are the other side, right? There's the illness and and the, the early death or disability. And we have to deal with that too. Not as pleasant, but at the same time, we can feel very proud with the families that we serve, knowing that they were hopefully prepared much better off because of the planning we did for those, you know, not so great events too. So, you know, again, it rooted from when I was a kid, it was an area that was of interest to me. And it, it was, it was something that I felt I could have a long career, very rewarding, and it it stuck. You know, I've been yeah. in the business since 1996 when I first started and left college, and haven't looked back since. Nice, yeah, that's great, and it's it's nice to be. I mean, service is a big part of my life, and just thinking about what I do and how it can serve others, even in my corporate roles, like how can I serve my my peers and stuff. And so I think it's. It's cool to have that aspect. And you've been recognized too, right? You've received a few awards for your work that you've done in your company and yourself, like the 40 under 40 list for the Long Island Business News and things like that. Can you talk about kind of how that feels for you? Because sometimes if you're a service-minded person, it's also hard to get recognition, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, recognition is great. And if you could be recognized as a 40 under 40 by Long Island Business News, or we were 2021, we were one of the top 100 investment advisors with Bestopedia. It's all good. And the recognition is nice to have your peers or organizations recognize the contributions you made. But, you know, for me, it's really, it's not about me. It's about my entire team and the stakeholders that are here and part of Midland Financial because if it wasn't for them and all the hard work that they did, I wouldn't even have an opportunity to be considered for those roles. So, you know, it's really a team effort that has allowed us to be recognized. And, you know, it's just nice because we, you know, I feel like recognition is enough when we work with a family and they thank us for helping them towards a specific goal or helping them through a specific time of their life. And that's just like an extra, you know, icing on the cake when we get that recognition from outside the the company. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure it is. And yeah, it's funny because I never, like, I never did the whole financial advising thing for myself. I just kind of always do whatever I do with my money and make decisions that probably aren't great. But I think I learned a lot when I finally worked with one for a little while, at least, that I was able to achieve a goal. And <clears throat> do you find that people sometimes come to you, you guys, and think, I don't even know how I'm going to make this happen, but this is what I want. And how do you kind of help people build confidence in themselves for that? Yeah, I, I think the biggest, you know, one of the biggest hurdles or challenges that we have is people getting to the point of understanding that they need somebody to help them through this portion of their life. It's just one of those areas that most of us inherently don't have you know, the tools or the knowledge in order to navigate through it and, and get, you know, get the results that we essentially want. So that's typically the first challenge. And I think the second one is people are a little fearful of what they're going to hear, whether it's going to be positive or negative. And I, I think the third piece is a lot of folks don't even understand what an engagement looks like or what they should expect to get out of working with an advisor. So, you know, one of the things that we do to kind of dispel that is we always start out with a potential client with a what we call is there a fit meeting? And really, it's to determine what they're looking to accomplish, what they're looking to get out of an engagement with us. And then also at the same time, tell them how we work with families that we serve in order to see if there's a baseline inherently that makes sense for us to move forward and work together. Because we don't want to work with folks that don't have problems or issues that are in our wheelhouse that we could effectively work through and help them solve. You know, they may come to us thinking that they need to solve X and that may not be in our wheelhouse. So we might be able no. to refer them to some, someone to help them. But I think the important thing is, number one, recognizing that you need the help. Two, understanding what we're going to do and what we're not going to do and finding an advisor who's a fiduciary who's going to act in your best interest always to work with. I think those are three key factors. And then everything else could be worked out. And, you know, it depends on what you're looking for. If you don't, maybe you don't know. And, you know, if you have 30, 40 years until retirement, you may not know exactly what you want retirement to look like. Mm -hmm. But here, here's where the benefit of working with an advisor comes in. At least you could start with whatever the game plan is today. And once you have that information and you have that kind of in a plan, 
as your life changes, it's easy to update and amend it and keep it moving in the direction that you're going and allow the advisor to help advise you along those different stops along the way. If you don't, you know, you might find yourself five, 10 years away from retirement. And now all of a sudden you have a good handle on what you want retirement to look like. But two things, one, you don't have a much, you don't have as much time on your side at that point, number one. And number two, now you have to basically engage with an advisor and give them a lot more information than you would have if you started longer before and kind of worked with them incrementally along the way. So, you know, we, we always say we would rather work with folks earlier because it gives us the ability to help you a lot more because you have more time to make meaningful changes. And it also helps us guide you along the way because you only know what you know. And if something comes up and you don't have us, you may make a decision. It may be in your best interest. It may not. But if you have us as part of your team, you give us a call and we can tell you. We may not be able to tell you inherently that A is the right choice over B, but we can definitely lay out options that, hey, if you do A, this is going to how, you know, this is how the pros and cons look like. And if you do B, this is what the pros and cons. Ultimately, it's your decision. It's your money. Mm -hmm. It's your hard-earned effort. But we're just here to kind of give you a taste from our experience as far as what we see as the pros and cons of those various choices that you make. So the earlier you start with somebody, the better, but it's key to find a fiduciary. Don't find a salesman or a broker who's just going to sell your products to solve a problem and get them paid. You want to find somebody who's going to act in your best interest. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And yeah, the get rich quick kind of things and do these two steps and you're a millionaire, those kind of things get kind of kind of weird. I'll get in inquiries for the podcast where people will say, oh, I'm going to make your listeners millionaires. And I'm like, you're not because you're not going to talk to them. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Yeah. First of all, nothing works for any everybody, right? Yeah. So when, when I hear folks who are talking about it, if you do this, if you're anybody and you do this, it will work. That's not true. And no advice is right for everybody, typically Mm -hmm. across the board. You know, I think that's a fallacy. And the reality is, you know, if there was a way to, quote unquote, get rich quick, everybody be doing it. The reality is the only way to build wealth is to be smart about it, be mindful about it, have a game plan and work really hard to do it. Yeah, no, I agree. And speaking of just kind of having your mindset on it. You have a podcast called Midland Money Mindset. So how did you decide to do a podcast? I mean, I'm on, I'm doing a podcast. I recognize that. So (laughs) we're, we're doing them, but how did you decide to do yours? Yeah. So, I mean, it it came down to a couple of things. Number one is, you know, I like communicating with people and I like putting out content and conversations and and talking about slash writing about different topics. And quite frankly, I used to do a blog for a very long time and it took a lot of effort. Um, I'm just not a person who likes to write Mm -hmm. as much as I like to speak and have conversations. So I saw it as a method to kind of add to the content that we put out as an organization and, you know, utilize it as a tool to either enhance what we're currently doing because some people are more inclined to read a blog. Some people may be more inclined to listen to our podcast. And some people may never look at, listen to our podcast, but all of a sudden we have one great guest that they're interested in hearing and they may, you know, start listening. So I just wanted to use it as a tool and what it's 
really turned into is a podcast that's really about getting your mind right about all things money and bringing on engaging guests who I find interesting that I really want to have conversations with and kind of drill down into, you know, how money has helped them or hurt them and find out, you know, you know, how they're building their business and how they're an entrepreneur or maybe mental health related or I have athletes. So they're really interesting people to me and I want to share those conversations to the world. And, you know, we, we bring a whole lot of joy, as I like to say, along the way, because our, our signature question, if you will, at the end of every show is, what did you do today that brought you joy and, and put you in the right mindset for success? And that's what it's all about. We want to have joyful experiences and, and be successful at the same time. Nice. Yeah, that's great. And is that is your podcast weekly or how often does it come out if people want to? Yeah, we are weekly. We release a new show every Wednesday. We're going to be celebrating our 100th episode in September of 2022. So, you know, we're going to be shortly two years after that. And we're, we're excited. It's uh, we've had some great guests and very interesting topics thus far and even more so to come. Yeah, super. Yeah. And we're about the same as far as our episode count and stuff. That's cool. And it's it's a lot of work, but it's worth it because you get to talk to talk to cool people like like I'm doing now. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, um, same. So, as far as what you do outside of work, and I think that's what resonated with me the most was was that for this podcast in particular. But you are very active in mental health. You've been on the national board of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Can you talk a little bit about your work there and how you got into that? Yeah. So, I mean, essentially it dates back to, you know, almost the same time that I launched my firm. So as I said earlier, I launched my firm in October of 2004. In September of 2004, uh, I lost my brother-in-law to suicide, Keith Milano, Mm -hmm. and uh, that he was my uh, wife's brother. And, you know, there was some conversation about whether or not I was going to hold off on launching my firm, but I decided and, you know, with the support of my family and, and my wife, Keith's sister, we decided to go ahead and, and launch it. So we lost him in uh, September 2004. And it was really an eye-opening experience for me because I had never lost somebody close to me to suicide. You know, he definitely had, you know, issues. He was diagnosed as bipolar. You know, it wasn't like this was a complete shock in terms of you know, losing him because we knew that there was an underlying condition, et cetera. And my wife and I were very supportive of him. And I had spoken to him the night before we lost him. So we had, we had spoken on the phone. My wife used to go to appointments with him. So it really spurred this uh, need or desire to help more. And, you know, one of the things I was always, as I mentioned earlier, I had been always philanthropic after losing my mom at a very early age. A lot of my efforts were to breast cancer because mm-hmm. that's what we lost her from. And after losing my brother-in-law, I started looking at the statistics. And basically, we at that time, we lost almost exact same number of folks to breast cancer as we did to suicide. But if you looked at the funding, breast cancer got an enormous amount of money and suicide prevention mental health got a fraction of it. So I made a concerted effort to start putting my efforts behind mental health and suicide prevention. Essentially, we 
started a golf outing and started raising money that way. To date now, it's morphed and we do a a book fundraiser every May for Mental Health Awareness Month. We have an awesome group of romance authors that donate a portion of their Mm -hmm. proceeds from their book sales for the month of May. And this year we had about 40 authors partake. We don't have the final numbers in yet for 2022, but we're going to be announcing that in the coming weeks as those totals start coming in. And over the the last 17 years or so, my wife and I, with the help of this great community, the romance community, all the folks that helped support the golf outing, when we had it, we, we've raised in excess of about $1.7 million for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which is held at the Keith Milano Memorial Fund, which is a memorial fund that we set up at AFSP. If you want to kind of learn more about his story and why we do what we do, if you go to keithmilano.org, his entire story is there. And I, you know, also, in addition to the fundraising, I also spent about 12 to 14 years on the the national board for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. I just rolled off recently because I hit my term limit. And actually, the term limits were something I helped install in the organization in order to keep things fresh. I still sit on the finance and investment committee, and I'm very involved. And I will tell you, we've become de facto resources for folks. We get emails, texts, you know, messages through social media asking if we could assist, if we have, you know, resources for certain folks. And we've become a de facto resource to a lot of people out there. And even more important than the money, the money's great, and we've done some great things with it. You know, I know for a fact that we've saved lives and we've helped people which far outweighs any money that we could ever raise, knowing that we've helped save uh, lives along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. I didn't know that about the funding for breast cancer versus this, but that's an interesting statistic. And I think there's been different ways people have talked about mental health and suicide in that time, like since 2004 until now. Oh, it's changed quite a bit, yes. Yeah, yes. and... I for think, the good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That should be said. Yes, for the good. It hasn't like people haven't become more cavalier about it. But did you notice anything just in your work during the the pandemic? I mean, that was a big time of change and coming out of it. And I think there was more awareness of mental health in general because people experienced issues that had never experienced them before just because of the new times. And have you heard any stats or anything like that kind of made you more like, yes, this is what I need to be doing, even other than yeah. your brother-in-law, but just helping people in general? So, I mean, the stats, they, they only publish stats about suicide rates and how many folks we lose usually annually, which is around November. So the stats for... 2021 won't come out till the end of 2022. The numbers that did come out at the end of 2021 for 2020 showed a reduction in in suicide rates, which is you know, kind of counterintuitive because if you listen to the news and the radio yeah. and all, all the media, you know, they're leading you to believe that there probably would have been a spike in 2020 due to the pandemic. So, you know, I think people are waiting to see what the 2021 numbers look like to mm-hmm. see if there's, you know, a, a longer version of this where we see a spike or if there's a continued decline. And I think there is at this point an exp- expectation that there is actually going to be a continued decline. I, I think what you're seeing, and this is just merely my opinion, I'm not a medical doctor yeah. or a researcher by any stretch of the imagination, but I think over the last 17 years, you've heard a lot more about mental health, a lot more about suicide. And I don't think that 
suicide is more common or mental health issues are more common, I think we're hearing and talking about it more. Yeah. So it kind of gives you the impression that you feel about it. Remember when my brother-in-law passed away 17 years, there was really no social media, you mm. know, 17 years ago, it really didn't exist back then. There wasn't a platform for everyday people to say they were struggling or they had issues or talk about what was going on in the news. So I think we're hearing about it a lot more, which is good because I think the more we have conversations about it, the more we speak about it, the more we normalize it, the more encouraging it is for those that are suffering or feeling like they're having an issue with about a depression or anxiety, will feel comfortable enough to come forward mm -hmm. and, and seek the treatment or the help that they need. I think to some degree, some people have a misconception that if you ask for help, that you may need help for the rest of your life. And that, that may not be the case. You know, there are plenty of situations that I've seen personally and in those that I know and are connected with where there might be a specific period of your life where there's a high level of anxiety and a couple of things may be happening all at once and maybe leading you to some issues that you need to talk to somebody about. And it may just be one of these things where you have to talk it out for a couple of months and then you move on and you're over that period. Mm -hmm. I think that just normalizing it and, and encouraging people to have these conversations is, is excellent. And the more people start sharing stories, I think enables that type of conversation and enables people to say, hey, oh, I didn't realize you had an issue. You know, I do too. And you got help and you got better. Maybe I should try that too. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the more we do that, the better off we'll be. And a lot of that didn't exist 17 years ago. There's been a huge, huge change in that regard. And my wife and I say from time to time, you know, when we see something going on or we see somebody talking about it, we'll say, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, we, we wonder what, what would have happened if my mm -hmm. brother-in-law was around today and felt more normalized to have these conversations because he was always of the ilk at that time. You know, nobody was talking about it. And he's like, nobody understands what I'm going through. They just they just mm -hmm. don't get it. And I think today people get it more than certainly more than they did 17 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. I mean, I, I had it on this podcast the first season because I've made seasons just to give myself a break every once in a while, really, is the only reason. Sure. A guy, Chad Moses from To Write Love on Her Arms, and they were the first organization that came to my attention when I was struggling. And I hid, I hid depression from my family for about eight years, as well as you can hide it. I mean, you can only hide these things so well, just because of the shame around it. And then when I was able to talk about it, now it's like, I can just say how I'm feeling and it's okay. But being mm -hmm. in my 20s going through that, it was a lot different. And so I do think that things have improved now to the point where where people are talking about it more and, yeah, normalizing and sharing the stories. I mean, one reason I have the podcast is to share stories, right? But yeah. I mean, we listen, we still have a long ways to go. We're definitely in a much better position. And, you know, the only thing I could say is I encourage any of the parents out there that might be listening, you know, start having these conversations mm -hmm. with your kids at a very early age. Now, you're not going to have the same conversation with a five-year-old that you are an 18-year-old, but you can start having these conversations at earlier ages, making it normal for them, because then when they hit that period, if they hit that skid or they hit that issue that they, you know, are having trouble with, they'll be able to come forward and have a conversation with you or somebody else about it and hopefully get on the other side of it without any, you know, ill, ill circumstances taking place. Yeah, it's great advice. So uh, another area that you work in too is the Peconic, I hope I said it right, Peconic yeah, Hockey Peconic Foundation. Hockey. 
Oh, yep. got it. All yep. right. Nice. And so what do you do with them and how and what's hockey mean to you? Yeah, first of all, I'm a big hockey guy. I'm a big hockey family. I grew up playing through college. My two boys play still today. One's in college and one's in prep school in Minnesota. They both play hockey at pretty high levels. So hockey's meant a lot to me and they're came an opportunity to get involved with the Peconic Hockey Foundation. And what they're all about is just raising awareness and bringing hockey to the east end of Long Island. Essentially, where I am located, more or less, is the easternmost hockey rink that there is on Long Island. And you could probably go out another 50 or 60 miles from mm-hmm. here. So there's a lot of opportunities being missed because kids either aren't taking up the sport because it's too hard and there's no, nobody around to show them or a rink for them to go to. Or if they are playing, they have to, you know, the families have to drive long distances. So we're, we're you know, we're doing significant amount of fundraising to try to raise awareness about what's going on in the East End, try to build up a hockey program out there. And then the ultimate goal is to build a a facility on the East End of Long Island that would be able to be used by uh, families that are looking to play hockey and who are located out there to make their life easier so they don't have to travel, you know, perhaps an hour each way just to, to go to practice a few times a week and play games, make it a little bit easier for them. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, and sports are so important for kids. And I know hockey is a big one, and especially in that part of the country, too. So yeah, we want to make the sport, you know, more accessible for as many kids that want to play should be able to play. Unfortunately, it's not necessarily the case due to cost due to Mm -hmm. geographic location, etc. So I'm just trying to do a little little bit to to make that those barriers a little bit lower and grow the game. I think it's a great sport. It's given me a lot of a lot of life lessons, a lot of opportunities in life. I've done a lot of things and met a lot of people because of hockey and my kids have had the same experiences. And it's just a, a way to give back in a, in a little way. Nice. That's great. So one thing I like to ask guests is just, do you have any advice or mantra that you like to share? I mean, you've already given some advice, but sometimes people have something that they like to just tell people. Yeah. So, I mean, I, th- I think that the, the one thing I would leave with your listeners is one thing that I talk about a lot, which is pay yourself first. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of us get hung up, you know, with life, with working. And what we do is we get our paycheck and immediately we're looking at what bills we have to pay and kind of paying them. And we have a tendency to then look at what's left over and then utilize that for ourselves, whether it be savings, retirement, discretionary spending, however, however you want to kind of slice that up. And I think we have to put that on its head a little bit and, and get into a mindset of paying ourselves first. So, you know, if you read, for example, The Richest Man in Babylon, that book talks about paying yourself 10% and paying mm-hmm. yourself first. So if you get in the habit of paying yourself 10% first, whether that be to your retirement account, savings, however, and then utilizing the remaining 90 to pay those bills, you know, you'll end up learning to live within those means. We have a mm-hmm. tendency to kind of, you know, change things and morph to whatever or wherever we need to be and, and uh, make things work. But I think that we have a tendency as, as people to kind of overlook ourselves first, pay everybody else before we pay ourselves. And I think we have to turn that on its head and, and pay ourselves first. Nice. That's that's cool. I haven't heard that. And I'm definitely going to be looking looking that up because I could, I could use my 10 <laughs> percent. Um, <laughs> 
So I just have a set of questions called the fun five that I ask every guest. So I'll start with those. What is the sure. oldest t-shirt you have and still wear? So that's a tough question for me because I have a lot of very old t-shirts and my wife gives me a hard time about them because I usually keep them around because when I play hockey, I usually wear a shirt underneath my gear. Mm -hmm. So those are great shirts. But one of them in particular, as I was reading that, you know, I you had given me that question in advance and I started thinking about it. And probably one of the, one of the best shirts that I still have is I went to Binghamton University and we used to have, I lived in the Newing community. And within that community, there were, I believe, five dorms. And there was a thing called Newing Navy at the end of the year. And it was basically like a color war between the five dorms. And we made a t-shirt every year. And I was there. I lived in Broom Hall. And we won 10 years in a row. And Whoa. I still have that t-shirt from, the, from the, the 10th win in a row. I still have that t-shirt to this day. One of the residents would design the t-shirt and it was like a hand-drawn thing that we turned into a, a t-shirt and it's still in my closet albeit it usually is under my hockey gear but uh, i still have it and wear it nice that's awesome that's good because a lot of people got rid of their t-shirts during the pandemic or something and i saw my old ones so i'm glad you i'm glad you held on to them i saw it wife, still survived it still yeah survived. tell your wife no i needed it for this question so at least <laughs> <There you go. laughs> that's a good reason all right so if every day was really groundhog's day like in the movie what song would you have your alarm clock set to play every morning yeah, I would say I'm not a big fan of Kiss, but this one song really resonates with me in particular. And I think it would be a great tune to wake up every morning to. And I want to rock and roll, you know, I want to rock and roll all night. I think that would be a great, you know, good way to start the day. Want to rock and roll, you know, for the day. Yeah. So what better way to wake up? Nice. All right. I think it's and party every day anyway, so you can party. Yeah, it might be. Well, yeah. I, I don't want to party every day, but uh, I want to rock and roll every day for sure. All right, cool. And coffee or tea or neither? So I'll drink both, but I prefer coffee is a daily occurrence, black and as strong as possible. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Can you think of a time that you laughed so hard you cried or just something that cracks you up when you think about it? Yeah, so you know, one of the one of the things that I, I think about that we kind of it's it became a joke in my house. I guess one one day when my kids were going to bed, I kind of said goodnight to them in a weird voice, like I like a very high pitched voice, like goodnight. And now it became it's become a thing. Like if the boys are going to bed, they'll say goodnight, and mm -hmm. like so much so that I've called my my oldest son in college on Facetime and just sent him that voice memo, and it always makes us laugh. It's just just one one of those things. I guess you had yeah. to be there to to experience it, but it still gets a chuckle out of all of us. Yeah, but that's great. That's one of those family things, and then like siblings will share forever, there too, you go. which is yep, nice for yeah. sure. For sure. Okay, so last one: Who inspires you right now? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question. And I think I'm going to go back to my family for this one. I think, you know, you know, just kind of at this very moment and because we're kind of wrapping up the school year here on, on Long Island and uh, my oldest son's in college, my younger son just finished up his first year uh, prep school, boarding school several states away. Mm -hmm. They really inspired me this year. And the reason why they inspired me is they, you know, at the age of 15 and 18, they 
left the house, went out, went off on their own, and they found their way and they were able to do their thing. They played hockey at a high level, enjoyed every minute of it. And both my boys did incredibly well in school. So they, they really inspired me because you never know, right? You do everything you, you think you're doing as a parent. You're hoping you're doing uh, as best you can. And I think, you know, my wife and I say often our job is really to grow good humans. And uh, they've really inspired us over the last year because they've really shown that they're turning into great humans and and good students and, and doing everything, preparing themselves for the uh, the real world. And that's inspiring to me because it, it, it really makes you feel like you did a good job. And there's a lot of inspiration to be drawn from from that. Ah, cool. That's great. That's really nice for you to talk about your kids that way too. So if people want to find you, Larry, or the podcast or your company, where should they go? Yeah, so I'm all over social media. I'm pretty much on every uh, platform except for TikTok because <laughs> we can't figure out a way to archive that. But uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we're all over those. On all those platforms, but Instagram, you can find me as Lawrence Sprung, L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E Sprung. On Instagram, I'm Larry Sprung. It was a little bit of a uh, marketing snafu very early on by me. I shouldn't have been handling my own marketing and <laughs> I, I, I messed that up. So you can find me on all those platforms. And then our uh, podcast is found at Midland Money Mindset, M-I-T-L-I-N, moneymindset.com. And uh, you could also find our firm, Midland Financial, from there as, as well. Cool. Well, thanks so much for chatting, Larry. It was really nice talking to you and learning about what you do and what you're doing for others. I appreciate the time and the, uh, the platform, Robbie, and make it a great day. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the guest and what was talked about in the show notes. Joe Mafia created the music you're listening to. You can find him on Spotify at Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. Rob Metke does all the design, for which I am so grateful. You can find him online by searching Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Please leave a review if you like the show and get in touch if you have feedback or guest ideas. The pod is on all the social channels at, at More Than Work Pod or at Robbie Comedy on TikTok. And the website is morethanworkpod.com. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.